more than that, focusing on prevention, which is reducing the loads, doing a good vaccination, knowing which trains are, are, are floating around and causing disease, um, trying to check your vaccination crew, uh, trying to apply the vaccine twice, and then, and then taking a look uh, and, and, and educating your people. I mean, that would be prime. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Adaseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. Working with nature and not against it. Chickens fed AX3 Digest consume significantly less feed and water to produce one pound of meat. Successful flock performance is determined during the first 10 days post-placement. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible novel protein that most improved in barn performance, bird health, and a drier litter. For more information, visit www.protecta.com. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. This is Karen Grogan. I'll be your host today. And with me is Dr. Rodrigo Gallardo from the University of California, Davis. Welcome to the show, Rodrigo. Hi, Karen. How are you? Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. It's great to have you with us. Um, so, uh, Rodrigo is part of the College of Veterinary Medicine there. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to your role currently at UC Davis and what your educational background is? Well, that's interesting because I, I always tell people that it's a bad habit in my family. So I have uh, my, my grandfather uh, is a poultry vet, my father is a poultry vet, and I'm a poultry vet. So it's been three generations floating around and... Uh, and specifically, I run across a lot of people that are veterinarians, but specifically poultry vets. Specifically poultry. So I, I grew up inside the barn, like most of our fellow colleagues. Um, and then my dad, actually, and, and my grandfather, too, they, they were faculty in, in, at the University of Chile. I'm originally from South America. And uh, they also did research, very applied right? Because, because they went to the field, grabbed some samples, then came back to the lab and, and, uh, and, and they did some, some applied research and they contributed to the poultry industry in, in my country, in Chile, uh, that way. So, so that's been my, my motto, actually, during the 11 years that I've been here in Davis. So I, I like a lot the interaction with the industry. Um, Usually my research is focused on problems that are daily problems in terms of uh, animal health. And, uh, and that's how I like it. So in terms of education, uh, I uh, did my DVM in Chile, uh, worked for uh, seven years in Highland International uh, back in Chile. Uh, I was in charge of the reproduction and, and, uh, and the hatchery. 
then I uh, came to the U.S., did my PhD in molecular virology with Dr. Toro uh, in mm -hmm. Auburn. And then, um, and then I took my board, board examination. Uh, and after that, I just got this position in Davis. So my, my job description here says 50% teaching, 50% research. <laughs> in reality, what happens here is that my position gets funded in, in half by the poultry industry in California. So uh, I have to do a fair amount of outreach uh, and what we call tech services in, 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 in poultry, right? So, so there's a lot of interaction with the industry and, and I have to do basic and applied research too. So That's great. That's, uh, that's what our land grant institutions are for. Um, we, we work pretty similarly at, at UGA and our positions are, are heavy service-based too. So um, I, I, we are in parallel um, universes in terms of our university appointments. Um, so in terms of your area of research, um, California is, you know, its own little, you know, ecosystem there in the valley in terms of um, product, you know, turkey and chickens and squab and layers, and you have all, all kinds of species um, mixed together there in California. So what are the, the top areas for your research right now? So, um, well, it depends, right? But, but uh, throughout times, I've focused on IBV, which is, you know, is job security in a certain sense. So it's endemic right. everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Even though we don't have many problems with IBV, it's super interesting to um, take advantage of that, right? So, so here, the approach is not just massively vaccinate, but rather vaccinate whenever you need, uh, at least in broilers. In layers, we have programs that are more similar to what, what, what you see in the East Coast. But in broilers, during the summer, we don't really vaccinate. Looking at, at the trends that happen with, with surveillance is super interesting in order to learn how the virus mutates and changes. That's, that's the topic that I, that I uh, research for my PhD program, for example. I mean, we, we looked at viral evolution with IBV. And then, uh, so we also work on coryza, right? Uh, coryza is... Of course, more a layer disease, but um, and from uh, temperate weather, so uh, so we see it a lot in layers, and it's endemic here. But uh, during the last probably five to six years, we've seen it in broilers, and and since you cannot vaccinate, you cannot do anything; they die like crazy. Yeah, I've seen coryza in broilers in South Georgia. They were close to the sickest brothers, I think of. Yeah, they had MG and Coriza thanks to some backyard chickens. Yeah. So, there you yeah. go. And yeah. that's, that's um, actually the, the reason, right? I mean, we have a lot of backyard flocks and a lot of game fowl. So, so Coriza is also floating around because of this of this capacity that it has to to uh, create carriers. And then the other the other uh, topic that we focus on is uh, Rio viruses. So again, uh, and that super endemic in the broiler industry. And then uh, like probably 11, 12 years ago when, when uh, these big Rio virus outbreak started because of the variants, uh, we started researching it and uh, with the help of, of our friends from Foster Farms. Uh, I like to see a data, try to see trends. Uh, we do changes on those vaccines very periodically, like every six months or a year. So we have a good grip of what's going on in terms of variants and, and how to prevent them. But also we've been looking into the virus itself and trying to see if there's antigenic determinants, right? It's a very complex virus. So, so it's super, super interesting on the basic and applied uh, side of things. 
So you stay busy with your 50% research. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like they, they, they sum up, they add up 100%, but it's never 100%. Right. Right? No. So you need to have clear in your mind. 150%. That, yeah, you, you, you have to have clear in your mind that you have a family and there's people waiting for you every day. So, right. Right. so I mean, I try to work from eight to five and uh, try not to work over the weekends. And, and so far that's yeah. working, but, but sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. You, you, do, you have to establish some boundaries. No, no doubt. If, if you want any semblance of balance, you have to, you know, have some hard and fast rules. Um, otherwise, the balance erodes very quickly. Um, so I, I think Horizon is a good place for us to start in terms of um, your area of expertise. Um, those of us in the US have seen Coriza sort of spread to areas that, you know, we didn't really probably expect Coriza to, to land. Um, especially in layer production facilities. So let's rewind because um, we may have listeners that, you know, you know, just cover the basics a little bit. Um, so what, what's the bacterium? What's unique about it? You talked about established carrier states. Like how did we get at this in, you know, the Midwest and other states? Yeah. So um Again, I, I was trained as a molecular virologist, right? So so working on Coriza was <laughs> kind of like a surprise for me. So I had a uh, delegation from the industry one time uh, contacting me and coming here to my office, actually. And they told me, like, we have a huge problem with Coriza. And I go like, well, you know, uh, that's great, but I'm a virologist. And they go I'm like, well, but, you're, yeah. but you're a researcher <laughs> and a veterinarian, so you need to work on the bacteria. So that's how I ended up working on Coriza. So uh, it, it's a bacterial disease, of course, and, and, and uh, it's caused by the bacteria called Avibacterium paragallinarum, which used to be called Ammophilus, right, back in the day, and still people call it Ammophilus. Uh, it, it, it's a weird bacteria because it, it takes some effort to, to grow, right? I mean, in the lab, whenever you, you're doing your diagnostics, it just doesn't grow in common media. You need to use chocolate agar, and sometimes... You know, we, we do some other tricks here too. We we uh, add to that chocolate agar some chicken serum, uh, or we, uh, in addition to the NAD that that play uh, that agar might have, I mean, we streak uh, stuff on top of it. So so you need to you know grow it in a certain way. The problem though is that uh, in this latest outbreak, this bacteria has been changing. And what we've seen uh, through some research and genotyping specifically is that we have, you know, that most of the vaccines that we have available commercially, which are from types A, B, and C, uh, <clears throat> the C types, which are the most prevalent around the U.S., uh, doesn't really look like the strains from the vaccines. Uh, so. I mean, and I don't want to confuse people. The vaccines do work, right, if you apply them twice. The problem is that you're you're getting more of the cross protection rather than the full protection from 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 a, from a vaccine, which is what you aim. So so if you apply the vaccine uh, wrongly or you don't really do a good job in the application, you're subject to more problems uh, than if you were using exactly the same vaccine. Uh, so so that's one of the reasons why uh, this thing is spreading, I think. Um, and, and of course, you know, there's, there's been, uh, weather changes all over the place. Right. So, so that also, uh, means that the average temperature in, in the Midwest is not the same that we used to have. And that, you know, 
uh, makes this bacteria uh, survive a longer period of time. So, um, you know, uh, I, I probably went off topic from no, your question. No, not at all. No. But that's what I think it's going on, that, that you know, um, there's, there's things that we're doing differently. And, uh, for example, here in California, one of the big things that we started doing differently 10 years ago was uh, cage-free. Right, so cage-free in multiple age complexes uh, is uh, terrible in terms of, of respiratory diseases. Uh, and usually in chickens, you know this better than me, um, diseases are multifactorial, right? So you have you have an immunosuppression. No, Rodrigo, it's just one disease. No, I'm <laughs> and it's just a disease. They want to know what the one disease is. <laughs> you have one immunosuppression, and then on top right. of that, you have bacterial diseases, viral diseases, and all gets complex. And the lab says IBV, but it might be ORT and, you know. So, so like, like our Bible book says, like you, the art of looking at the tree or the forest rather than the trees, well, that's, this is one of those situations. Cage-free. Um, so for the, the people in the rest of the world, um, California does have legislation, um, state legislation that uh, regulates um, that that is uh, mandatory. Um, in terms of, of rearing, um, laying chickens there now. So in terms of that, so the cage-free creates sort of, at least in our experience, a lot of environmental issues, more stress in terms of getting to feed and water. They just don't necessarily um, adapt. So how does that additional stress feed into our disease challenges? Well, I mean, as I said before, it's all multifactorial, right? So there's a lot of management in disease events in poultry. Um, especially when you have cage-free, right? I mean, you you have an environment which is uh, inherently difficult to ventilate, right? So you have ammonia and you have dust, right? And with dust, there's E. coli uh, and other bacteria that are in suspension. And then you have, uh, most of the times, challenges with vaccination, right? I mean, you're vaccinating against IBV, but then you have a rolling reaction because your job wasn't properly done and, you know, all these mixes, there's a mixing vessel, and then you end up with a pathology that 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 might look like coryza, but the underlying cause is something different. So I've seen different flavors of coryza in in the field, right? I mean, I've I've seen it with IBV, I've seen it with E. coli. That's why whenever you apply your E. coli vaccine, it seems to work for coryza, right? Yeah. Because you're controlling an underlying. Yeah. And then, and then I've seen it with pox. So I had a producer uh, some time ago that call, contacted me and asked me to go and visit their farm. And uh, he said, like, we have, we have the most severe crisis that I've ever seen. I entered to the, to the barn and there's, you know, swollen faces. But mm. then on top of that, there's crusty lesions. Uh. So, so we look at the vaccination program and of course they did it lousy job on applying the the, the AE pox. Uh, they didn't have titers for 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 AE. So of course pox didn't take either. Right. No and uh, and they had coryza. So, so again, I mean this thing is is much more complex than 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 what we really study whenever we go to school and we study about these diseases. Right. There it's it's usually not just the one the one thing by itself. Layers are never straightforward. Um, in, in terms of, um, you know, prevention and treatment and management, 
of of you know sort of if coriza becomes endemic like into a large layer complex um you had briefly mentioned that your research showed that you're getting more cross protection not full protection because what's commercially out there um that the seas don't you know quite line up um are there things in the pipeline do you see people leaning more towards autogenous actually having their isolate um, being made into a product and being used and then that's being more successful yeah i see i see a, a little bit of everything so there's there's producers here in the west coast that use the autogenous with really great success so they they have really good results and 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 things go smoothly with them there's others that use autogenous vaccines and they still have issues um I, I do a fair amount also of uh, vaccine uh, audits, and and I can tell you that sometimes whatever we think it's it's immunization is not right. I mean, I see people's people vaccinating and not really doing a good job. So there's a lot that we have to do as as veterinarians and and and, and you know and and uh, and people that work in animal health in order to train the people that does vaccination. Um, there's there's also some other things that I've seen that that are pretty strange, uh, and I and still don't have an a good idea of why. So, I started, and, and probably my vaccine company colleagues are not will not be happy with this. But I started started breaking emulsions of different vaccines, and and retrieving the bacteria and trying to see, look at it in by electron microscope and see how how um, how were their shapes if they were destroyed and stuff. I, I did the same thing with uh, with formalin inactivated and just live bacteria. And and we found out that due to the formalin inactivation, uh, some bacteria lost its uh, capsid, right, or membranes. Uh, so that would that might be a reason of why some vaccines are better than others. And then also uh, some vaccines of certain uh, uh, types or, or brands uh, were able to preserve the, the shape of the bacteria in a better way. Uh, you saw less broken bacteria and, and, and more preserved bacteria in some others. So, so I guess there's also this, this uh, idyllic idea that the autogenous vaccine is just the right uh, for, for preventing the stuff that is happening in the field. But 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 in reality, um, when you make an autogenous, there's a lot of things that that don't happen compared than when there's a commercial vaccine produced, right? Commercial vaccines use isolates that are very studied, right? Yes. HSN, Modesto strain, we know them, we know how they grow, we know how to grow them. These new strains, since they are a little bit different, they don't grow as well. You cannot take them to the titers that you want to take them. They are sometimes more finicky in order to work with them. They need certain uh, other nutrients in order to be grown. They don't react well to the formalin. They don't react well to certain adjuvants. So so there's a lot of things that happen there that we don't really have a good grip of. And and again, I mean, I'm, there's vaccines and vaccines. I mean, that, that's that's the underlying thing. And and uh, we need to know what we're doing, but, but at the same time, we need to apply them well. So yeah, it, it's a tough topic. <laughs> We have to talk about those topics because we do all think, oh, I'm going to make an autogenous that's going to work and, and work perfectly. But, you know, the regulation, as you mentioned, autogenous products, we, we, you only have to prove safety 
you know, there's no work on the strain itself going into that. Um, so they're, they're, uh, they're definitely not a, a perfect match every time. Yeah. And, and, and each manufacturer does things a little, a little differently. And I, I, I think that, you know, even with commercial products, I think that we see some of that, like the, you know, sort of growth curves and, and like, you know, sort of the right tighter amount of, you know, bacteria that gets included, you know, everything's a little different. And we see, you know, we see reactions and pullets from different products. And um, so, oh, timely topic. And also yeah, you have vaccination programs, right? I mean, there's vaccination programs that are more loaded with, with, with vaccines than others. So, you know, if you apply four or five, six different antigens at the same time, you, you don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's strange to, to think that the, the reaction will be the same than when you apply two antigens, yeah. right? Correct. And, and the Correct. right of inoculation. I mean, there's lots of people that, you know, they, uh, they like using the pectoral muscle and they, the chickens take a hit and all, all those things that we, we know. Yeah. And, and especially in the layer business, you know, everybody was down to one handling. And, you know, if you have Coriza come in, you know, very well researched, you really need two doses, um, you know, to get, get good protection so that, you know, the egg industry is losing money to marginal, you know, a majority of the time. So adding an extra handling is yeah, um, it's less tough than ideal. Them. Yeah, it's tough for them. Um, and, I, and I still have producers that applied once only. Right. So, so that, that that's the reason. So part of since we were talking about about prevention on Corisa, most of the people that I work with rely on on the vaccine, right? But there's also management associated with the use of vaccines. So your vaccine will never make up for your poor biosecurity or your poor management. Um, reducing the load in the field is super important, and that's when that's when the second vaccine uh, has a, a, an impact, right? When you apply one dose, you won't neutralize uh, as much as when you apply two doses. That reduction of the bacteria in the field will allow your vaccine to work better uh, compared with you know. Uh, and, and that's probably one of the reasons why this bacteria was able to to uh, increase its presence and produce more problems, right? There was a, a long time uh, in which we use only one or no coriza vaccine. So so we tend to forget about that. And then and then uh, that vaccine, pro, uh, that virus, uh, sorry, that bacteria uh, changed enough in order to cause problems. And, and, and the loads were such that we were not able to control it by vaccination. So you see, I go back to the viruses all the time. Hey, it's your language. <laughs> Virology is your language. You can't help yourself. It's okay. So in terms of like, you know, next steps in terms of um, your research in Coriza, do you have anything, you know, yeah, currently so going on right now? Always trying to to simplify things, I guess. I mean, for for uh, poultry veterinarians in the field and, and, and people that doesn't really have to know all this, right? So one of the things that, that it's super important in terms of epidemiology and also to control this bacteria uh, or bacterial infection is to know which type we're talking about, right? Are we talking about an A or a B or a C? Uh, right now, the process is super tedious and complicated. So in order to get, um, to get into a sequence of the gene that it's necessary in order to do a genotyping, you have weeks of work. Uh, we... we 
we develop, culture yeah, work. Yeah. We, we develop genotyping strategies with several collaborators in the in the in in the world actually, and and uh, we actually wrote a paper that got published last week uh, in Avian Pathology with our colleagues from Royal GD in the Netherlands, which we explained that that genotyping. But but again, it's super tedious and complicated. So so we're working on a qPCR that it's able to do the same thing. So from from something that takes weeks to something that takes a couple of hours, and we can probably inform people uh, what type of crisis is affecting their flocks. And and with that, you can take decisions in terms of which vaccine to use, and 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 you know from where it came, and and do I need to control more my biosecurity or not? That that sort of thing. That would be great. I, I remember when, you know, things started happening several years ago, people were contacting us, do you type, you know, and we were like, no. And I, I remember at the time, and I don't even think your lab was doing it, like it was, you had to figure out how to send isolates to Mexico to, to get it typed. So that, that wasn't all that long ago. So getting to the point where, you know, we could have a, a qPCR, that would be great. Yeah, and and I remember well the gold standard still is zero typing, right? And and for that you need to have a battery of of uh, hyperimmune sera or 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 sera that 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 can recognize your isolate. Right. So for that you need to work on Coriza twenty four seven, right? I yeah. mean you need to have all the different types. And since this bacteria has changed, there were a lot of times in which it came back as untypable. Or mm -hmm. it looks like an A, but it looks like a C too, right? right. That doesn't help much. So, no. so, um, and and you need to you need to send them to Mexico or to Australia. Right. These are like I I what I see uh, is that they're understudied diseases. So this would be one of the understudied diseases in which we don't we don't really have an expert in the U.S. The same would be with uh, encephalomyelitis, right? Um, nobody. They're like old, you know, oh yeah, we know what that is and nobody want. they're not, you know. But then, but then, you know, I, one time we saw here uh, an outbreak of even encephalomyelitis in uh, pullets, 14 week old pullets. That's super weird, right? I mean, it doesn't. And they have the tremors and everything, like yeah, neurologic with tremors, sense? With tremors. So, so they, um, well, I, I don't know why we're kind of like a magnet for understudied diseases. Maybe because... <laughs> That's, that's going to be the thing you're known for now. <laughs> Maybe because I say yes too much. Right. But anyhow, we grab the, the, the samples, we isolate the virus. We I thought it was because the vaccine was too close to being, uh, you know, uh, adapted to chickens. But anyhow, we figured out that it was a management problem in which people was actually applying the applicator of the pox AE vaccine into the muscle. Oh, and so... Instead those, of putting it in an yeah. aberrant location in the wing web, you actually gave it to the chicken. Yeah. yeah. So, so giving it, needs it to, to the go in the wrong the muscle place causes the disease, right? Right. <laughs> but, but when you receive samples from from uh, someone in the field in your lab and you don't have the whole picture, no, it blocks you, right, for from understanding what's going on. And that's that's why I, I always rely on going to the field, taking a look at what's going on and stuff. It it does make a difference. Makes a big difference. Then instead of um, you know, just samples that come in or a lot of times what happens is we get a case in and then we're like something isn't right here and then it in, it turns into a a field a, a field visit for yeah. us in, in terms of okay you know we're not seeing again for those of you that do submit to diagnostic labs bring dead chickens and live chickens like bring a representative sample because a lot of times 
a lot of things they'll just bring chickens and then they've missed what's happened without bringing the birds that have died that morning you're not going to see the sample so if we don't get a good representative sample this is when that is critical um so then you really need to go out and see with your eyes to see yeah what's and a good history right i mean a, a good, good oh if, if I get one more increased mortality, well, how increased and what was it, you know, I need more information than just that. And then it's like, okay, is it really increased? Like, do I need to be testing for AI here? Like, yeah, yeah. I need some more information. <laughs> yes, a good history and bring the right, you know, population. Is or sometimes you receive levers. Oh, right, <laughs> right. And then, and then, so they send samples like that, that goes through like a different stream in our diagnostic lab. And then they get results, which sometimes is nothing. And then they call you and you're like, well, uh, I'm going to have to look into that for you because it just went straight into histo or it just went straight into virus isolation or whatever you sent the samples for. Um, so yeah, we get a lot of questions on things that we didn't even really have our hands in, but, and then in terms of in maybe the rest of the world, because we do have international listeners where um, antibiotic regulations would allow treatment. Um, I, I think that that's pretty common um, in the rest of the world in terms of treating fox for coryza. And, and what, what products do you see there being useful? Oof. In, in, the, in the rest of the world? So, so what, I, what I would say, uh, I mean, I, I, I have the politically correct answer. So, <laughs> so dance around this. Yeah. So, so in general, like when I when I receive uh, questions about how to treat or 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 with what to treat, right? I always go back to send samples to the lab, get a good culture, and get an an, uh, an antibiotic resistance test. So we've seen here treating with some antibiotics that they don't work, right? And, and you ask uh, most of my colleagues that work exclusively in the field, and they will tell you like, yeah, coryza lasts for three weeks uh, without antibiotics, and it lasts for three weeks with antibiotics. So, <laughs> so in general, I mean, we don't do much here uh, other than, you know, I, I mean, there's actually we do things because there's good products that are natural and, and things that, that sometimes you might think that they don't work, but, but they have certain effects. So, so we use oregano oils, we use all those things that, that, that are more supportive care, and they actually work. I mean, there's, there's even some uh, uh, mucolytics that, that yes. do a good job also. Like iodine and guafenicin. And so, so those we use. In, in, in Latin America, what, I, what, I, what I've seen is that they use a lot of antibiotics and, and very high spectrum or, or wide spectrum antibiotics. And, and I would be careful with those because because you you need to save your tools to whenever you need them really well right and 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 uh, and i've seen the same thing that it said here like using you know for example uh um to treat uh coriza right. right it's it's kind that of like tool. a bomb and it actually doesn't work all the time so so uh more than that focusing on prevention which is reducing the loads, doing a good vaccination, knowing which strains are, are, are floating around and causing disease, um, trying to check your vaccination crew, uh, trying to apply the vaccine twice, and then, and then taking a look uh, and, and, and educating your people. I mean, that would be prime. Definitely falls under those diseases of biosecurity. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely falls under the things that get- And again, know your neighbors, right? Right. Uh, 
it's super important when you come up with biosecurity programs, uh, knowing the reality uh, surrounding your 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 flocks. Um, when was it? A couple of months ago, I was in uh, in Guatemala, checking some some uh, broiler breeders, and the history was coriza persistent coriza outbreaks. And then I take a shower, right? Change clothes completely, strip, take showers, you know, fumigation after you right. go into that Fogging shower. You. And then your skin is cracking, right? And and you feel yeah. like you, you need to go home and stuff. And and all of a sudden I, I take a look across the, the fencing, super good fencing, right? I mean prime biosecurity if you if you look at it. And then across the fence, I see some some cages. And then I go like whoa. Those are cages. They look like chicken cages. And then I go peek into the other, the other, uh, the premise uh, on the other side, and there were fighting birds, fighting cocks. Oh. And and you know, from from my experience here in California, in Southern California, fighting cocks get they're loaded, load loads and loads of coriza. Yeah, if they survive, they're just carriers. They're just toting it around. There you go. So, yeah. so part part of my other life here is to. <laughs> Is to provide uh, help uh, and and training to uh, gamefall breeders right. to uh, reduce the, the the incidence of Newcastle disease virus. So we don't want Newcastle disease virus to come. No. So we we train them on biosecurity and disease prevention, and also we uh, we help them vaccinate. Uh, the other disease that they need to be vaccinated against is coriza. So we're looking into options of having a kill Newcastle coriza that 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 oh, we can a combination product incorporate into, into their vaccine programs. So That's yeah, so, they're very valuable birds. It would make sense to heavily vaccinate them. They are very valuable. Uh, it's it's so uh, tied to their own culture that oh. they they won't stop very doing deep. it. Right. Even if you go and kill all the birds, they will keep doing it. So. They'll be right back. So, so it's it's part of what we need to do in a university if we get paid by tax dollars, right? I mean, provide provide information and training to the people that needs it. That's, uh, I, I knew following the last sort of Newcastle break in California, there was a lot of outreach effort into that um, that sort of industry. I mean, it is an industry, and and we it's need to industry. treat it like actually, one. yeah. So when I when I started working on this, this is a subset of, of the last outbreak that we had. You know, USDA wanted to have a program in order to talk with these people, train them, and also vaccinate. And uh, and uh, I've been learning a little bit of, of how they do it. And and these birds fly across the U.S. There's a, there's a lot of of breeder farms in Alabama, in Georgia. And uh, I, I started looking at the boxes, transport boxes, when they receive them, and they come from all sorts of places. <laughs> so, Yeah, we, we do. There's a lot of, and you'll see them. You'll see the breeders, like you'll drive by. Um, they either have like the little kind of V uh, tents or those blue barrels and create, you know, they have tethers. And um, yes, I've and seen. Sometimes it's a backyard that can be the size of my office with 2,000 right. birds. Yes. They're crammed in there. It is, uh, it cannot be, um, yeah, they are harboring. You tell them like, you need to vaccinate ocularly. And they look at you like, how do you want me to how vaccinate? Am I, do that? I don't even know how many birds I have. Right. <laughs> so, job security. That's right. That's right. That gives us good job security. Yes. You can, you can become their, the, in, that industry's, you know, personal veterinarian. Yeah, no, it, it's not in my list of things to do, but right, I know. <laughs> yeah. No, but 
but it's a it's a definite um part of you know yeah yeah and 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 the same for even you know small producers and backyard producers i think you have you have several niche kind of markets within you know california a lot of things feed into the different um, cultural markets in la and san francisco and you have a lot of different poultry production that supports that um so you definitely have a lot of you have a lot of opportunities to keep you busy, Rodrigo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> California. It's interesting down here. I wish I could have someone to uh, collaborate. Right. <laughs> right? You need, yes, you need more than just you. I understand that. I understand. That's right. It takes an army. It's time for our famous three. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. At JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operation safe. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Vivonic stands for a holistic and sustainable value proposition for livestock production. It combines products and services and leverages digital solutions. This is all backed with high-value consultancy and deep customer understanding. Vivonic turns science-based efficient nutrition, sustainable healthy nutrition, and precision livestock farming into value for customers and consumers. Well, I think we've kind of covered good science subjects. So let's let's venture off into, um, you know, maybe unusual questions to ask here to wrap us up. Um, what what kind of things do you do um, as hobbies? What do you do for fun? Oh, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting that one. Oh, well, so, we usually talk about books. We could talk about like, you know, books that you like or recommend. Which would you prefer? Funny enough, I don't I don't read much. I don't. I, I read a lot of technical stuff. I just, I just I cannot read. If I if you give me a book, I'll fall asleep. So okay, I do, noted. It's not yeah. your thing. I I do snowboard in in winter. Oh. I do downhill biking in summer. I have a car that I like working on. All all those things that you do and that you feel adrenaline, I I kind of like. Oh, an adrenaline. <laughs> I have I little kids now that I keep see. me super busy. Right, right. That's awesome. And then I know that you, um, you've had a, a strong uh, group of graduate students that have come in and you're, you're a great mentor to those students. If there's, you know, um, people listening that are in virology programs or they're, you know, interested, um, what kind of advice do you have them in terms of, you know, finding a similar path to uh, sort of what the area you work in and diagnostic virology and, and you know, being a PhD researcher? I, I think um, I think part of of doing research and 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 um, or or in any job that you take as a as a goal. I mean, it's 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 using your time and try to explore different different things. There's there's beauty in everything you do, but but you need to dedicate some time to it. And and uh, that doesn't mean you know twenty four seven days, but it means. Uh, dedicating your time to the things that you most like, and then finding inside those those things 
what it's most um most uh, uh you know interesting to you uh, yes i work on virology but I, but i have the viruses that i like the most and with those i enjoy my work right i mean um these are these are things that we take uh and and that we decide to do and we will be doing for 15 20 30 years of your life so if if you don't feel excited when you are doing your job or if you if you don't uh enjoy what you do uh during the day it's it's super difficult to do it well so so i would encourage people to look into the things that they most like and try to dedicate some time of of their lives uh to something that they 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 enjoy doing perfect that's a great message to end on excellent Thank you. <laughs> uh, no I, I, it it's uh it's not work if you're if you enjoy it i mean there's there's extra things right i mean there's people that you cannot get along with or or institutions that's that anything don't, yeah but that happens that ha- that happens everywhere but but if you if you're doing what you like I mean, that's, you cannot pay for that. That, that's, that's something that, that keeps you going. That it, there's, there's nothing worse of, of waking up in the morning and not willing to go to work. Well, excellent. Um, any other, you know, any other pieces of information you'd like to share on what you do or? No, not, not really. I mean, if, if anybody's interested in what we do, please contact me. My information is on the web. Excellent. Yes, you can find him in the UC uh, UC Davis. Go through the College of Veterinary Medicine and you can find Dr. Gallardo there. And uh, thanks for your time, uh, Rodrigo. It was great uh, speaking with you. And tune in next time to the next episode. Thanks. Thank you.